Hello and praise the Lord and welcome to the Endurance Sound Doctrine Podcast. I'm your host, Brother Chris Roberts Sr. And before we do anything, let's get started with a quick word of prayer. Father God, it's in the name of Jesus. Lord God, we just thank you for yet another opportunity to learn of your word. Father, we just thank you for this day that you have given us. Lord God, we ask that you impart wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Lord God, we ask that you open the ears of our heart and let us hear from you more clearly. Father, we need you in this hour, Father. Lord God, in all things, we give you praise, glory, and honor. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, I want to thank you for listening again to this podcast. And um, as always, we're going to keep it word. We're going to keep it in the word. We're going to keep enduring this doctrine. We're going to keep it doctrinal. And today I wanted to talk about the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without any further ado, let's just jump right in it. And one of the first scriptures I want to go to is in the New Testament, and it's in the book of Romans. And we'll go to Romans chapter 1. Hopefully you have your Bible with you. If not, that's fine. I'm obviously going to read it in your hearing. Romans chapter 1, and we'll start at verse 15. Paul writes, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believeth first I'm sorry, for everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is righteousness, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And obviously, uh, in those three verses that I read, verses 15, 16, and 17, the key word is the gospel. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. So, Paul, this is a weighty statement. You've probably heard this uh, verse quoted many times and just kind of glossed over it. But again, this word gospel is what I want to focus on today. Um, And starting off just with the definition that word gospel there is is a Greek word, eugelion, and it just simply means good tidings. Good tidings, or as we would say in, in our vernacular today, we would say good news. It simply means good news. And you, everyone has heard that term, that the gospel is the good news. You can have the gospel of of. Uh, a lot of things. I don't want to run down any examples, but the gospel, the term the gospel has been used primarily and predominantly by the Christian faith. Certainly the Muslims have the gospel of their uh, so-called prophet, 
But in Christendom, the gospel is always the good news, specifically the good news of Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. And we'll get into more of why that's important, that you make that distinction, that you always say the gospel is the good news of Jesus's death, death burial, and resurrection. Um, but there's one more scripture I want to get to before we, before we do a deep dive into that. And that's in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verses 7 through 9. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, colon. But be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So here again, I want to point out this specific language that Paul is using in both to the Romans and now into his second letter to Timothy. He says that we should not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of him, his prisoner. So he uses that word ashamed, ashamed. We should be willing to tell this gospel story wherever we go, wherever we go. And we know that that was the commission from Jesus himself. He told his disciples after he resurrected to go, go ye therefore and tell all nations and he wanted them to tell his story that he died, that he was buried for three days and three nights, but that he rose again. He rose again. And the other key piece of language that Paul is using in these verses is that um, phrase Christ, the anointed. Whenever you see Christ Jesus or you see Christ in the New Testament, that speaks of his suffering. That speaks of his suffering. And he said, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. So there's a couple of overlaps. But again, he tells him not to be ashamed. And, he, and in Romans, he said of Christ, the gospel of Christ Jesus, which speaks of his suffering. And then he said, but be thou a partaker of the afflictions. He's implying here that for you to tell the gospel, for any of us, for me, for anybody to tell the gospel, there are going to be certain afflictions, certain trials and tribulations that are going to come in delivering this message. It will not, it will not be easy. But he said the gospel of God, uh, the, the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of God. Remember in Romans, he said the gospel was the power unto salvation. There is power in this message. There is no need for us to be timid. There's no need for us to beat around the bush. There's no need for us to sugarcoat this gospel. You know, Kirk Franklin and others have this gospel of inclusion where everybody can be saved. And I totally believe that everybody can be saved. On the day of Pentecost, when they people from all over heard them speak in tongues in their own language. 
from several different countries. Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you. And as for those that are afar off, this gospel message is for everybody, everybody. There's not one human soul on this planet that this gospel cannot reach, cannot affect, cannot save due to its power. There is no other message like this gospel message that our Savior died, that he was buried, and that he rose again with all power. What a wonderful message. It is a very wonderful message. And so let's, let's again uh, break down uh, some of these definitions. Uh, I told you that the gospel, what the gospel word means in the Greek, and it means good tidings. And immediately my mind in the, went to the Old Testament uh, book of Isaiah. Let's turn there. Isaiah chapter 52, in fact. And verse 7 is one of my favorite scriptures. Isaiah writes, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. And so here again, we see many of the same refrains. And I want to point out that this word here for good tidings the word, uh, the New Testament analogous word of gospel, this word bringeth good tidings is the Hebrew word baser, baser. And if it sounds familiar, it's because this word is the Strong's number 1319. Strong's number 1320, the next number, is the Hebrew word basar, which is the word for flesh or body. But this is the Hebrew word baser, and it means good tidings, to bear good news, to publish, to preach, to show forth, to announce salvation as good news. And if you've been listening to this podcast, we've broken down that Greek, or I'm sorry, we've broken down that Hebrew. And you know that the Hebrew letters were originally pictures. And this Hebrew word basar are the Hebrew letters bet, shin, and resh. Bet, shin, and resh. Bet was originally a picture of a house. And shin was originally a picture of teeth, and it speaks of devouring. And resh was originally a picture of a man's head. And it speaks of being in leadership, the first. And however, in this case, when we put together God's picture for this word, good tidings, uh, I'm putting together the letters shin and resh. That forms, forms the Hebrew word Tsar, and it means chief or prince. And just like the word for flesh, the picture, God's picture for the word for good tidings is the house of the prince. The house of the prince. That prince, of course, speaks of Jesus. He was a son after all. Prince is the son of a king, right? And if you've uh, studied monarchies. And so the picture for the word good tidings in the original Hebrew language, Bet, Shin, and Resh paints a picture of a house of a prince. This good tidings, this gospel, is the house of the prince. Paul 
when he's writing about the gospel in these those two passages of scriptures we read in Romans and in 2 Timothy, of course he's talking about Jesus Christ. And this is where Jesus' message resides. It resides in the death, burial, and resurrection of himself, of him. And so I think it's really, really good that the Hebrew picture for that word gospel is the house of the prince. This is where he resides. There's, Like I said, there's no greater story that we can tell. He resides in this gospel message. The gospel is the good news of Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. The good news. Staying in Isaiah, let's jump over to chapter 61. And remember what I told you that the Hebrew definition for that uh, word was to preach, to announce salvation as good news, to bear good news, to publish. I'm sorry. Yeah. Isaiah chapter 61. And it reads, the spirit of the Lord is is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of our Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. That was Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 2. And again, what should pop out at you again is that word, uh, good tidings, of course. He said, yes, the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings. But this entire passage should sound very familiar. Who in the New Testament said this? Well, you don't have to think too long and hard about it. Uh, Shortly after completing his 40-day fast, the Bible says that Jesus was uh, brought into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And after rebuking the devil, the first thing he does is go go back into the temple. And we'll pick that up in Luke chapter 4. This chapter is one of my favorite chapters in all of the Gospels. Luke chapter 4. And I'll start at verse 16. It says, And he came to Nazareth, his hometown, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue. He went... I'm sorry, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Esaias. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, and he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, Recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of our Lord. So Jesus quotes verbatim that scripture that we just read in Isaiah 61 and 1. And 
Jesus starts his ministry. This is the start of his ministry, saying that he is here to preach the gospel. And he gives a list of the kind of people he needs to preach to and what he has to do. And I'm sure none of them in there, um, <clears throat> none of them in there were listening or understood what he was saying. Uh, as we know, as we know, uh, I believe it's, I know it's recorded in the book of Matthew. I'm not sure if it's in the book of Luke. But when Jesus returns to his hometown, to Nazareth, it says he couldn't do any great work there because of the unbelief. But here he kicks off his entire ministry by reading this verse about preaching the gospel. So again, this gospel story cannot be any more important. Well, Brother Chris, you said the gospel was the good news of Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. Where's that at? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15. I guess you can find it as I'm finding it. And uh, just to set things up, Paul in this chapter is talking about the victory we have because Jesus died and the promise that we have because Jesus was died, he buried and rose again. He starts in verse one. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. I'm going to stop right there. So in verse 3, he said, Christ died for our sins. Again, when you see that, that speaks of his suffering. Of course, we all uh, probably have seen the Passion of the Christ, and we've read the stories uh, in Isaiah 52, among others. Uh, Isaiah 53, he was wounded. He was bruised for our iniquity. He was wounded for our transgressions. And by his stripes, we are here. Jesus suffered many great things heading up to that cross. We know about the nails in his hands and his feet the spear in his side, the, the crown of thorns. But the night before he died, he was beaten all night just to appease those chief priests and high rulers that, that uh, consorted with Judas, just to appease the, the mob. But they still chose Barabbas. He, he didn't suffer enough. They wanted him dead. They wanted him crucified on a tree, on a cross, a wooden cross. And that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And what scriptures could he be talking about? He, certainly he's not talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or the book of Acts. No, he's talking about Isaiah. He's talking about Leviticus. That every scripture from Genesis up until that point that was written is talking about Jesus, the sacrifice, the sacrifice that God commanded them to make was talking about Jesus. And we see that in the book of Hebrews, that those sacrifices were just a figure, an example. Hebrews 10, read that. They were a figure, an example 
of Jesus. He was the ultimate sacrifice. He was that lamb. He was that goat. He was that bullock. That Christ died for our sins. When the priest had to come into the temple to make atonement, something had to die in order for those sins to get atoned, to get washed away. Jesus was our atonement. uh, I believe that's in John. He was our propitiation. All right, but I'm going to stay right here before before I dive too deep into that. Um, And verse 4 says, And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Where in the scriptures? And that he was seen of Cephas, and then the twelve. After that, he was seen above 500. This is just to prove beyond a shadow of doubt that Christ, we know Christ was dead. Everybody saw him die on that cross. But he was seen of people after he rose from the dead. Nobody stole his body from the grave. They put a big stone in front of it just so that would not happen. They didn't have bulldozers and backhoes and, and, and hoists or anything like that. They put that stone in front of the sepulcher so that nobody would come and steal it. And guess what? No one did. He got up under his own power and left that grave. So this is the gospel. Verse 3, that Christ died. Verse 4, that he was buried. And staying in that same verse, that he rose again. That's great, Brother Chris. That's great. What does that mean for me today? This gospel story, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is important to everybody because this death, burial, and resurrection represents repentance, baptism, and receiving the Holy Ghost. Repentance, baptism, and receiving the Holy Ghost. That is the gospel message. That's why it's the power of God unto salvation. Nobody can be saved unless they repent, unless they are baptized in Jesus' name and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidence speaking in tongues. That's not me saying that. That's the Bible saying that. This is why Paul is so adamant that the gospel must be preached no matter what happens to him. If he's imprisoned, if he's shipwrecked, if he's improperly uh, uh, persecuted, The gospel message must still go forth no matter what. Let's go back to Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? I'm in verse 1. That grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? This is one of my favorite scriptures. And that people like to say that we are saved by grace and Paul said that himself but here he says what can we are we supposed to continue sinning well I'm saved by grace Lord know what I what I the Lord know what I want no no we shall not continue in sin that grace may abound you're taking his grace for granted he said God forbid how shall we that are dead to sin you proclaim to be a Christian You are supposed to be dead to sin. Live any longer therein. Know ye not 
that so many of that's that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death. And that like Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we also should walk in the newness of life. Jesus says that I come that you might have life and life more abundantly. That, of course, is speaking of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the only way to have eternal life. And so here, Paul breaks it down wonderfully. He said, we're baptized into death. And we were buried with him by baptism. I like it in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. He says, for in, oh, I'm sorry. Not verse 9. Verse 9 I like because it says, for in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead. Bodily. We're not going to get into the Godhead here, but he's talking about Christ. If you read verse 8, that the Godhead bodily was Jesus Christ. All right. Verse 12 said, Buried with him in baptism, wherein ye are also risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And we, and he said, And you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you of all trespass. So as we know in Acts chapter 22 baptism washes away your sins and when you rise out of that water you should rise in the newness of life. You no longer have that burden, that sin burden that Adam put on us. You no longer have that now you can walk in a new life. You can receive his Holy Ghost. Me personally, I was baptized at age of six. I didn't get the Holy Ghost until I was 10. For some people, they might speak in tongues first and then get baptized. They might get the Holy Ghost first. That happened to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. There's no particular order, but you must have the death, burial, and resurrection applied to your life. We know that you must repent first. You must have a 180. You must have a change of heart and mind. Jesus said, except a person, uh, I'll just read it to you. Let's go to Mark chapter 15. These, so you don't say Brother Chris made this up. Jesus said in chapter Mark chapter 16, verse 15, and he said unto them, go. Ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And then he says, What signs will follow them that believe? And we know that the doc in the doctrines of Christ, there's baptisms. You must be born of water and spirit. You must believe and then be baptized. You must believe and be baptized in order to be saved. And he told them to go and preach this gospel. This is the gospel, you all. The good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. There is no greater story than this. There's no more important story than this. 
This story is easy to tell, but it won't be easy to tell. There's going to be afflictions with it. There's going to be hardships with it, even in this life. And we can break down that word. I could break down that word afflictions even more so to prove that. But we're out of time for today. I thank you for listening in. This is a, um, uh, a message that's near and dear to my heart. And uh, we're just going to end this on a word, quick word of prayer. Father God, we just thank you for yet another day, Father. We thank you for this opportunity to read of your word. Father, we pray that something was said to prick somebody's heart, that they ask, what must I do to be saved? Father, empower your people in these last and evil days to preach your gospel, to spread your message to this sin-sick world that you have the cure. And Father, we'll be sure to give you all the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for tuning in. If you have any questions, feel free to comment, send me a message, hit me up on Twitter. God bless you. Peace.